Hey, I want to ask you, if you would, to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And as always, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, there is a live event there that you can follow along on. That's really valuable. If you happen to be watching online, you're not able to pick things out on the screen uh, because that information, a lot of the screen information is online on the Bible app for you. Um, and, uh, and the scripture is there as well. So it was uh, long about 1990 that the Christian and Missionary Alliance decided they were going to get all the senior pastors as they could together to come to what they called a senior pastor convocation. I would say most of us didn't even know what a convocation was, but it sounded like a good, good way to get out of town. And so we all went to Toccoa Falls College, and uh, there was a, they brought in world-class speakers for this event, just some of the, the best speakers I've ever heard. I used to have the videos from that. I loaned them to someone who didn't give them back, so I've lost them. But they were just great speakers and great speaking. This is when Dr. Rambo, Dr. David L. Rambo, was president of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And while that might be his claim to fame, that he was president of the Alliance, his real claim to fame is that he grew up going to Mahaffey Camp. His dad pastored a church in Punkin Ridge, and that's the way you spell it too, P-U-N-K-I-N, Punkin Ridge, uh, the McFerrin Alliance Church. And when David was a child, he went there. I really got to know him when he was president of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. So there we were gathered at Tacoa Falls College. All these pastors are together uh, in this room. And Dr. Rambo is going to kind of set the tone. He's the first of the speakers. And he said something. When he said it at first, I thought, eh, I don't know about that. And then almost in, as soon as I had that thought out of my head, the next one came, he's dead on right. Here's what he said. He said, if I had to place one descriptor, one adjective, one way to describe pastors pastoring today. Remember, he's talking 30 years ago. If I had to use one word to describe them today, that word would be angry. Pastors are angry. And I thought about it. I thought, that's just so weird. But it was so true. And I looked around the room and other guys are like, yeah, that's probably the word. Pastors are angry. Now I bring that up not because pastors are angry today. I don't think we're any more angry or less angry than we were then, sadly, right? But I bring it up instead because I think that if Dr. Rambo were to speak about society today, he would say, if I had one descriptor to lay on American society, at least today, that word would be anger, that we are angry. Do you feel it? Yeah, see the little chime that says we feel it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. We live in an angry world. I'm not sure it's always been this way. Maybe it has to a greater or lesser degree, but, but I would say that it doesn't have to be this way for you. You don't have to be angry like you are. You know, when I go into a store, I wear a mask. Uh, when I drive down the road in my car, if I'm in a town and I'm by myself, I put my mask on <laughs> just to make all those people that go on Facebook, I saw an idiot with a mask on today. I do that for him, so he has something to write about. But that is indicative of the anger that is all over our culture today. But hear this sentence, you don't have to be angry. And chances are you're not happy being angry. I believe you can escape the anger trap. And I say that because I believe God instructs you not to be angry. And he would never ask you to do something that you couldn't do. That would be rude. That would be torture for him to ask you what you couldn't do to say to do that. He actually gives you instruction on how to do it. And some of that instruction is in our passage today. So we're going to start at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. We're going to finish up at verse 9. So follow along as I read this. 
Rejoice in the Lord as always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, there's a really great phrase in that collection of verses that you might miss, and you might miss it for good reason because there's a lot of great phrases in that collection of verses. It is just so rich with meaning. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I would say it rejoice. And do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, present your requests to God. Great phrases there. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. That's great stuff there. And whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely or admirable or excellent or praiseworthy, think about that. The passage is full of good stuff. It is like my wife's chocolate chip cookies that while she's making them, when she's not looking, I throw extra chocolate chips in. It's just so good, this passage is, right? But there's a phrase there you might have missed. It's a phrase that's in the first part of verse five. It says in the NIV, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. We are really blessed to live in the era we do where we have so many translations of scripture to compare things with. It helps us to draw meaning out of stuff like that. I was thinking of that word gentleness. I wonder how else that's translated. And if you happen to be looking at the New Living Translation, you would say, it, see it says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Or the English Standard Version says, let your reasonableness, I feel like they made that word up. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The King James said, let your moderation be known to all men. And the New American Standard Bible says, and I love this, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Are you getting the point? There's just not a lot of room for anger there. Not a lot of room for it. It'd be really good for us to understand the meaning of gentleness. So I kind of want to tell you a story. Lois Miller is here today, and uh, I'm going to tell a story about her dad, Russ. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember Russ. Russ was really good at telling stories, and he had a lot of stories to tell. And I can remember one story he told. I may not have this exactly right, Lois, but we're going to let her fly the way it is, okay? Uh, he loved to tell stories. One of his stories was about a team of oxen. When he was a little boy, probably Rex's age. Uh, Rex, how old are you? 12, yeah. So he was probably your age, okay? Little boy. Um, his dad had him take a team of oxen from Kermansville to Brookville to pick up a load of lumber and then come back with it. That's why I remember it anyway. And, and he was just a boy doing this. Now, let me tell you a couple things about oxen. First, number one, depending on the breed, they can be really heavy. One of those animals weighs a ton, more or less. Two of them weighs 4,000 pounds, more or less. The second thing I want to tell you about oxen is they're not in a hurry. They are not in a hurry. I looked it up. The average speed of a team of oxen, empty, they're not pulling anything, is three miles an hour. And when they're pulling something, they're even slower. So let's do a little math. Let's think about how far it is to Brookville from Kerwinsville. We're not going to go up I-80. I did it on Google Maps, and I went over the river and through the woods. You know what I mean? 
And, and when I got there and, and back, I did the math on three miles an hour, top speed, 24 hours. That's how long it would take Russ, that boy, to take those oxen to Brookville. Then he's got to load up and then he's got to come back. And it's probably more than 24 hours because half of that is carrying a load of lumber, right? He said to me, he said, when nightfall came, I had to go to sleep. And he said, what I did, I found a grassy place and I put those two oxen there and I slept underneath them as they stood sleeping. I want you to think about that. There's that boy (laughs) sleeping under 4,000 pounds of meat (laughs) that has sharp hooves at the bottom of the 4,000 pounds. I mean, one misstep and he's a goner, right? And I said, weren't you afraid? And he said, oh no, here's a sentence. Oxen are gentle. They are so gentle. And I've watched that. I've been at one of those old, old craft shows up in western New York one time. And there was a guy there with oxen. He's underneath them. He has a little, like a little tiny whip. It looks like a stalk of grass. And he's just moving them around while he, and they're, they're just so gentle. But they're incredibly powerful. At 4,000 pounds, there's not a lot. They have trouble moving. And they didn't have any trouble bringing that lumber back. Now, I tell you that story because I want to talk to you about what gentleness is not. And the first thing I want you to understand is gentleness is not weakness. Those oxen are not weak. They're very strong, but they're gentle. And so when you think of a biblical picture of gentleness, it is not well pictured by saying gentleness of Scripture is like the whiskers of a mouse. It's not. (laughs) The whiskers of a mouse are not strong. Don't ask me how I know that. (laughs) they wouldn't be, right? They would be weak. But biblical gentleness arises from and requires great strength. And so when Jesus speaks of his gentleness, he's not saying that he's weak. When he says in Matthew 11, 28, call to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. He's not saying I'm weak at all. In our world, people see gentleness and weakness as being tied together, but that's because both their vision and their thinking is warped. Gentleness is not weakness. Second, gentleness is not being soft on anything, not being soft on sin. So my grandchildren are here today. <laughs> when some of you first heard they were coming, I can't tell you how many, how many grandparents said this sentence to me. Your grandchildren are coming? Yeah, they're coming. Spoil them good, you know? Spoil them good. They said that to me over and over again. So I guess grandparents are supposed to let them stay up past their bedtime. And I guess grandparents are supposed to introduce them to Super Mario. And I guess grandparents are supposed to let them watch too much Bugs Bunny, right? Spoil them good. Grandparents are supposed to be soft, right? But that's not what the Bible means when it speaks of gentleness being soft on sin. The gentle Jesus who spoke to a dead girl. Remember Jairus, the synagogue ruler's daughter, died. And in gentleness, Jesus says, little girl, it's time to get up. He's the same Jesus who said to the wind and the waves, peace, be still. And they were still. And by the way, he didn't look at the wind and the waves and say, peace, be still. Right? 
Because the scripture says he rebuked them. And I'm not going to imitate Jesus rebuking the winds and waves. You can picture that in your own mind. But I'm pretty sure that it was not soft when he did that. He wasn't soft on sin. Ask the self-righteous Pharisees if he was soft on their sin. Or ask the money changers who were ripping people off in the temple if he was soft on them. Or ask, ask Peter, who one time Jesus looked right at him and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of God. Gentleness doesn't mean you're soft on sin. It doesn't mean you're weak. The third thing about gentleness, it's not weakness, it's not being soft on sin, and it's just not easy. It requires you control something, something called your temper. Do you have a temper? Of course you do. Do you keep it under control? (laughs) Maybe, maybe sometimes. It is so easy to fly off the handle. It is so easy to say curse words. It is so easy to raise your voice. It is so easy to give someone that cold stare that just cut in front of you in traffic, you know? Or to give them some other symbol. <laughs> right? But being gentle, that's not easy at all. I mean, responding to someone else's anger with gentleness takes incredible strength. It requires great effort. Being aware of your nonverbal when you're in some kind of a situation that might end up being a confrontation and just keeping a level head and a calm demeanor and a gracious disposition. It's hard work to do that. Gentleness takes discipline. It's not easy. That's what it's not. It's not easy. What is it? Well, first, it's treating others with respect. Aretha Franklin said it well. We should have done that as a worship song. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. I don't sound like Aretha. I just don't. No, right? Being respectful means treating someone the way you would want to be treated. Being considerate means thinking about what they're going through in the position they are in before you act. I want to tell you, I haven't always been good at this. In fact, I used to be the guy that when I talked to customer service, I gave them a piece of my mind. And I was doggone good at it. I'd call because there's a problem with my internet. I'd call because there's a problem with my cell phone, whatever. And I would unload about six weeks of anger onto whoever was there, you know? (laughs) And I was really good at it. The sad reality is I was being anything but gentle. I say this by word of testimony, that I really got convicted about that. And God changed me. This week, it's just comical if you think about it. This week, the governor of the state of Pennsylvania said, We would like everyone to go back to working at home. Now, working at home means that you're using the internet for most of us. Using the internet. Hard, right? That very same day, my internet service provider had an outage from clear up in northwestern Pennsylvania all the way down to Maryland. I thought, how ironic is that? Stay home, no internet, right? Wow. And so I called them. I called them. Because one time my electricity went out. This was a long time ago when you used to talk to a person at the electric company when it went out. It was out for a couple hours and finally I called them and they said, we didn't even know it was out. And I'm like, what are my neighbors doing? You know, I expected everyone. So I always call. Don't worry if you're on my, if you're on my leg of the, the internet or whatever, I'll be the guy that calls. So I called and I waited for well over an hour to talk to someone. Now I want you to imagine they had outages from clear up in northwestern Pennsylvania, clear down into Maryland. What was it like to answer the phone? What was it like to be customer service that particular day? When I got a hold of the guy, 
I said, see, pretty busy, buddy. <laughs> and he said, uh, yeah, I got over 100 people in the queue behind you. Wow, yeah, you're really busy. And I just tried to be respectful toward him, and I tried to be considerate of what his day must be like. I didn't say what I would have said. Hey, I am paying a lot of money for this service, and I can't believe you're having this outage. I, there was a day I would have said that. I didn't. I didn't say, what are you doing about this? What are you doing there? Are you, are you telling those guys it needs fixed? I didn't do that. I didn't say, you better get this fixed right now, or I'm going to move to, there's no one to move to. <laughs> so I didn't do that either. You see, that wouldn't have been gentle. That would have been so self-serving. That would have been so disrespectful. So inconsiderate. That guy didn't break the internet. He's just answering the phone. He doesn't need me making his day more miserable. I pray for the people that are standing at the doors of Walmart. Don't you? They don't need somebody making their day more miserable. Gentleness. God says I need to be gentle. The long and the short of it is that gentleness is Christ-likeness. It's being like Jesus. Jesus is gentle. (laughs) And when I'm not being gentle, when I'm being belligerent, when I'm demanding my way, when I'm being inconsiderate, when I'm letting people know how I feel, when I'm being demanding, when I'm being disrespectful, I'm not being like Jesus at all. I'm just missing it completely. Gentleness. Christ-likeness. And we're called to do it a lot of different places. We're called in Scripture to do it in the way we teach one another. If you have someone that you're teaching, you're discipling someone, gentleness is the way to go. Uh, years ago, a, a fellow left my church. He was a friend of mine. He'd been in my church for a year or two, maybe three. And he left my church. And before he left, he said, hey, I want to talk to you. And I really appreciated that because he didn't just disappear. And, and I said, so what's going on, man? How come you're leaving? And he had a number of reasons. But one of his reasons was this. He said, I really need somebody to yell at me. And you don't yell when you preach. I need someone to yell at me when, when they're preaching. And I said, yeah, you're probably not going to find that here. Gentleness. Gentleness. The Apostle Paul is talking to a young pastor and he's telling him how to do his job. The pastor's name is Titus. And in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says this, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. And by the way, do you hear gentleness throughout this? Look at the words. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever's good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate. Always be gentle toward everyone. You can't teach people to be gentle by being mean to them. It just doesn't work. Whenever you're teaching, God wants you to be gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to all. God calls us to be gentle when we teach each other. Even when someone is messed up and we're working to restore them to where they were with Christ before, the key word is gentleness. I mean, think of Jesus when he's talking to the woman who was caught in adultery. After he deals with the people that are ready to stone her, it's just her and Jesus. Do you remember what he said? Who could forget it? Neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Gentleness. Jesus is doing what Paul would later speak of in in Galatians chapter 6, when he says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch for yourself, lest you too also may be tempted. What do you do when someone's caught in sin? Shame them. <laughs> no. What do you do when someone's caught in sin? You scold them, berate them, let them know how they messed up, yell at them. That's not what I'm reading there. I'm reading the word, restore them gently. Let your gentleness be evident to all. 
God calls us to be gentle even as we're presenting the gospel. And by the way, Christian, if you are a Christian and people know you're a Christian, then everything you do is part of presenting the gospel. People are watching you and they're seeing what Jesus has done in your life. So be gentle as you present the gospel. Peter says it this way. He says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But here it is. But do this with gentleness and respect. You know, gentleness doesn't fit with the cancel culture. I know you've heard that phrase, right? If you haven't, cancel culture is a culture characterized by both liberals and conservatives that says, if I don't like something, I'm going to get it canceled. If I disagree with something, I'm going to get it canceled. Christians have done it. The Disney boycott when my kids were small. That's cancel culture right there. Excommunication throughout the centuries of the church is always cancel culture. You're cultured. You have a heresy, you're, culture. you're canceled rather. You have a heresy, you're canceled, right? Um, but it's not just Christians. It's every segment of society. Getting someone fired because of something they said when they were a teen, that's cancel culture. Or shaming someone on social media, cancel culture. Just over a year ago, uh, a person named Dr. Pamela Pareski, I don't know who that is. She had an article on psychology today. And, and the title of it is The Apocalyptic Cult of Cancel Culture. Listen to the subtitle that she put on that. She says that forgiveness and redemption is out. Condemnation and excommunication is in. By the way, Psychology Today is not a Christian website, but she is using Christian jargon. And what she is suggesting is deeply Christian, that we need to get over the cancel culture because it's written in anger. It is Christian to serve others gently, helping them as God works in them to change their heart, not to just write them off and cancel them. It is Christian to present a reason for the hope that is within us with gentleness and respect, not with some kind of a demanding posture. Redemption requires gentleness. Let your gentleness be evident to all. So how do I do this? I'd like to give you three recommendations, biblical ones, on how to do this. And the first of these recommendations is this. Leave your anger with God. You might think, that sounds silly. What what do you even mean by that? Well, I'm going to pull it right from our text. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. It's kind of been our key verse. It's the verse that says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And I've only been really emphasizing the first part of that verse. The last part of that verse, those four words says, the Lord is near. What's up with that? I mean, what's your take on that phrase? Let your gentleness be known to all, the Lord is near. I mean, is the Apostle Paul saying, be gentle because Jesus is watching. You better watch out. Is he saying, be gentle because the return of Christ is right around the corner and he's going to call you to account? Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. I don't think that at all. I don't think that's a warning. Here's what I think he's saying. I think he's saying, you can be gentle because the Lord is near and he will fight your battles. That's what he's saying. You don't have to fight him. You don't have to be a jerk. You don't have to be in somebody's face. You don't have to be griping. You don't have to. You don't have to be angry. Leave your anger with God. Let him take care of it. He says to do that. In Romans 12, 19, for example, it says, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. 
you can leave your anger with God because you can trust him to sort things out way better than you ever could. Way better than you ever could. Live a life of gentleness. By number one, leaving your anger with God. Number two, try to understand the other's perspective. When you feel anger rising inside of you as a response to something that someone has done or something that has said, pause. Think about who they are, why they're saying that, what factors have arisen in their life to bring them to that place. Put yourself in their shoes. (laughs) And when you do that, you might find out your anger is not just unnecessary, (laughs) it's unjustified. I was looking for a passage of scripture that says, walk a mile in my shoes. I couldn't find one, so I'm going to go ahead and sing that song. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I already did Aretha. I'm not going to do Joe South, okay? But you know, it, that idea of putting, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, walking a mile in your shoes, there's no proverb that says that in scripture, but it is exactly what God did. He became a man. I mean, John 1, 14 says, The word, that is, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He pitched his tent with ours. He put on skin and and he put on hair and he put on eyes, (laughs) ears, fingers, so that he could experience, so that he could know experientially what it means to be human and so that he could redeem us. We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness, says Hebrews 4.15. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet did not sin. If he did that, it would be wise maybe for us to put ourselves in someone else's shoes from time to time and try to see the perspective that they have. It may help you to live a life of gentleness. Here's my third recommendation. See others through the eyes of Christ. I know I haven't mentioned it yet today, but I have a couple grandchildren. (laughs) <laughs> I've mentioned this a third time at least, right? Yeah. You've probably seen my grandsons and you're probably thinking they're pretty cute. In fact, you probably have said to me, some of you have, your grandchildren are so cute. Of course they are. They're my grandchildren. But privately, you might have this thought. You might think they're no cuter than anybody else's grandchildren. <laughs> if you could see Zach and Moses through my eyes, it would change everything about the way you see them. If you could just see those boys, whether they're crying or screaming or laughing or swimming or playing or eating, through my eyes, you would say, those are the cutest grandchildren God ever made right there. You following where I'm going with this? If you could see humankind through God's eyes, it would change everything. I got this thing that I say. I say it because it's funny. I don't understand the humans. They're so stupid. I don't understand the humans, as though I'm not one of them. You know what I mean? I was reading some news headlines to my wife the other day. She looked at me. She said, I really need this planet to stop so that we can step off of it. You know? Yeah. Amen. We all feel that way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Humankind. Humankind has a lot of problems. But if we could see them through God's eyes then we would observe that they reflect his image, albeit not well. They do reflect his image. We do. 
If we could see humankind through God's eyes, we would see them as souls for whom he poured out his blood. Oh, there's some value there. If we could see humankind through God's eyes, we would see they are the salt of the earth. They are the light of the world. And that would change everything. And it would change your anger. And it would bring gentleness. Because when we begin to see them through God's eyes, I think that gentleness begins to flow just a little bit more naturally. Just a little bit more as a matter of course. Would you agree that if he were speaking today, Dr. Rambo might define the defining emotion of humankind as anger? I'm not sure if it's always been that way, at least not to this degree, but I'm sure of this. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be angry. And I want to pray that God would cause you, help you, to be marked by gentleness. That, that as Paul said to the Philippians, let your gentleness be evident to all, that when people look at you, that's what they would see, gentleness. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and we'll pray. Let's bow our hearts together. Father in heaven, uh, we are thankful. We are thankful for your great love for us. We are thankful for your gentleness that you did not treat us as our sins deserved, but you demonstrated your love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're so glad for that. We're glad that we can trust you for our salvation. We're glad that we can trust you to do that which is just. And we can leave our anger with you. And we can just hand it to you and say, take care of this because I really don't know what to do. And we can trust you in that capacity. Help us to do that regularly as a practice. I pray that you would help us to understand the perspective of others. Jesus, I know that the main reason you became a human was so that you could pay for our penalty on the cross, dying for our sins. But in doing that, we observe the words of Hebrews chapter 4 that remind us that we have a high priest who knows what it means to be human. He walked 33 years in our shoes. May we be men and women who are willing to look through the eyes of those who we might, always be, we might otherwise be angry with. Help us to desire to, to seek to, to strive to see things from their perspective. Even more importantly, God, help us see the humans, that we just don't understand the humans. Help us see the humans as you see us. As that which you created among all creation to specifically image you, to reflect who you are, to show who you are. Humankind, made in the image of God, not just good, but very good. Help us to see what it is that you saw in the human race that so provoked you to give your very life, Jesus, to lay down your life for the sheep. We know it's really nothing in us that forced you to do that, but it is your gracious love that caused you to do that. But you didn't do that for tadpoles. You did it for humankind. 
because you value humankind. May we see humankind as you do. May we see humankind as not just what they are, but what they can become. Help us to see how just today, as I shared how I used to yell at customer service, and I don't do that as often anymore. It's such a small transition, such a small thing, but God, it feels big to me because it was done by you as you conform us to the image of your son. Help us see that you can do that for everybody and anybody. And you invite us to join you in doing that. Because if we would see that, it would help us lay down our anger and it would help us to live with gentleness. Kind of a theme today, God, has been, you don't have to be angry. Those of us with discerning hearts would say, we don't want to be angry. It's just so exhausting. May we follow your counsel. May we live in such a way that our gentleness is evident to all. In Christ's name, amen. Praise God.